that video just showed that uh, you're in a war. Whether you like it or not, you are in a war. And um, we are in a series right now called uh, Be Killing Sin or It Will Be Killing You. And, and I want to make absolute sure that everybody understands, this is not going to go down, um, everybody understands that this is not a series about sin necessarily. This is a series that is about God. I want to make sure, Core said it last week really well, that when I wake up in the morning, I've been doing three things since the beginning of this year, or end of last year, or something like that, and I say, first of all, I want to worship God. Second of all, I want to kill sin in my life. And third, I want to do as much damage in the kingdom of darkness as I possibly can do that day. And it's very important to keep that order, because if you make killing sin your number one, all of a sudden now, how well I'm doing will define me. Don't do that. Don't worship sin. That's one of the sin's tricky things. Is it wants you to think that, okay, now you're doing really good. You're better than everybody else because you've knocked off X sin. What you've just added is pride. Which is, by the way, the worst sin in the Bible. Dang, this thing is tricky, okay? So, what we want to do, what we want to see happen at Hope and my life and in your lives, and, and it's an austacious, big, hairy, audacious goal, we want to see people set free. We want to see things that you've been struggling with for years and years, we want to see you, you get set free through all of this, and that's where we're aiming at. We've been reading, encouraging you to read a book. Uh, we only have one more copy out there. I ordered more, a dozen more coming. should be here tomorrow or the next day. Didn't get here in time for the weekend. It's a book by a very dead guy. 350 years ago he was born, very dead. I mean, he's been, this guy's not even pushing daisies. This guy's back to, you know, nitrogen and whatever, oxygen by now. How the Lord puts it all back together, that's pretty cool. It'll happen. I don't know how it happens. But the uh, name is John Owen, and he was an English Puritan in the 1600s. He wrote a book called Mortification of Sin, which some would say is the definitive work on how you go through and wrestle through with sin. We're kind of using that as a springboard. We had you read two chapters last week. Anybody get a chance? To, I won't embarrass anybody. Those two chapters are two of the toughest chapters in the book. And you think, two chapters, and they're like four pages each. You know, eight pages, no big deal. I'll just tell you right now, we're doing chapter four next week. Start now. I know it's only about six pages, but it's tough, tough reading. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But if you really meditate on what he's saying, it can be life-changing. Two weeks ago, I spoke on what is sin. I had you sitting here. Good job. I said you sat here for an hour. I went through Genesis to Revelation. Went through what is sin biblically. I asked you to put some things on my blog after you went through Genesis to Revelation on what is sin. And then this is what you guys have come up with. This is fantastic. What is sin? Sin is, and I'm just going to give you definitions that are up on the blog. Sin is the vehicle that transports me away from God. It increases the distance between where I am and the destination I seek. It's good. Sin is, I like this one. I like, sometimes I like just simple. Sin is destruction. Sin is idolatry. That is worshiping something other than God to fill me in a way that pushes God out of where he belongs, in the king's spot of my life. And places me, or leisure, or sex, or vacations, or rest, or lust, or any other thing, as an idol in its place. Sin is attempting to fill legitimate needs through illegitimate means. That's a good one. I like that one. 
Not that I don't like the other ones, but they're, they're all. Sin is choosing my innate sinful desires, telling myself that they are better, more right for me, or more satisfying to me, or to me than what God, holy and infinite, has set before me. I hate sin. I hate that I choose it over God. I'm not worthy of his grace and mercy, but God rocks. I am alive only by his infinite worth. That is my hope for you. I hope you've come to a point in your life, and if you haven't, I got about half an hour here to convince you that sin sucks. Sin is terrible. And it's not like, oh, you're taking away all our fun. No, no. It is death. It is out there to take you out. It is a way that just wants to ruin you. And it is not the way of life. I'm not trying to take away fun. It is not the way of life. And so that's what we talked about last, uh, two weeks ago. Last week, Cor said, listed the theme verse for this whole series, Romans 8, 13. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. We're in the beginning, there's going to be a 10 week long series. The first three weeks are on why should we, why should we kill sin at all? I think Core did a good job. And I just want to summarize Core's message down to three words. Why should we kill sin? Because we must. Because we must. That verse says, if you through the, de- through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, kill the deeds of the body, kill those things of sin, you will live. There's the promise. You will live. The number one reason why is you have to. The number two is where we're going this week. What's the number two reason? Why do you kill sin? Why bother? Number two is because you can. And next week, just to tease you, is because you get to. But we won't get there now. I don't want to spoil that. This week is because you can. Now, I'm saying that to people that I know. I read the back of the cards. I meet with you all. You know struggles in my life. There are times when you feel like this thing is too big. This thing is, I can't. I've tried. I just, I can't do it. That is a lie. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will always provide a way, what? Out. There is no sin that you are bound to that owns you. If you're a follower of Jesus, and that's where I'm going, I'm going, uh, I'm going John, uh, John Owen here, okay? John Owen, when he would preach, the first thing he would do, he'd give a little introduction kind of like I did, and then he'd say this, and this is the doctrine of the day, okay? Here it is. Are you ready? This is the thing you should get. In other words, I'm giving you it up front. Here it is. The doctrine of the day is this. If you're a Christ follower, sin no longer has authority or mastery over you. Sin no longer has authority over you. If you got that, if you, the rest of the message, you can go to the Bahamas. If you're doing fine, great, you're good. But if you're not there, if you feel like you're struggling with sin in your life and it feels like it's more powerful than you, then just pay attention here. It'll get good. Now, I want to prove this to you biblically. I want to prove this to you experientially. Sin no longer has mastery over you. And I want to kind of follow a logical progression. So if you want to follow that insert, it actually does follow a logical, at least it did to me last night and this morning early, so I hope there's still some logic to it. Number one, number one, Jesus Christ has authority over everything. Now, I'm going to argue 
To the degree that you believe that is the degree that you can kill sin. If you really believe that Jesus Christ has authority over everything, there's a link here in just a minute when it involves you. That's the degree. But if you think he's just kind of king, or king with a small k, so I'm going to take most of my time this morning to prove to you that Jesus is king. Here we go. And you know what? What's fun? What's really fun? you got a computer Bible. Just go on the internet. Do a Bible study search of the word authority. Authority. And see all the times it comes up. It's an amazing word to look up. All right. Here we go. I want to show you a few things. This is way cool. Matthew 8. There's this great account of this guy who comes. He's not a Jew. He comes up to Jesus in Matthew 8. He's a Roman uh, centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. This is like the enemy. They're, you know, they're occupying Israel, and they're, they're kind of the enemy, asking for help. He says, Lord, he said, which by the way was enough for a Roman soldier to be killed, because only one person is Lord. Who's that? Caesar is Lord. That's the phrase when it says, Jesus Lord. That's making a declaration saying, oh, I'm opposed to that. Caesar's not Lord. Caesar is an earthly king. I'm good with that, but Jesus is Lord. It was enough for the centurion to get whacked right there by saying, Lord. But anyway, Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. So it's an amazing amount of faith already. Now listen to this. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Do you hear what he's saying? This is a Roman soldier. Comes up to Jesus and says, I want you to heal my, heal my, it's not even his son, or it's just his servant. Heal my servant. And Jesus said, he says, sure, I'll come and do it. He says, you know what, you don't even need to do that. Because you understand who I, who I understand you to be? My Christology, <laughs> uh, I'm a pagan, but my Christology is better than most people who go to church all their lives. It says, all you got to do is say the word and every being, every molecule, everything ever existed will follow you. It'll happen because you just say the word. Jesus replies to that. He says, when Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. kind of a Mufasa moment. Ooh. Say it again. Ooh. It's like at that moment, this pagan soldier comes to Jesus and just says, you are king of everything. Say it and it'll happen. Now you follow that word authority. There's a bunch of times and I don't, I don't have time to go through it all, but look at Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I'm only going to look at one verse here. Um, this is a whole deal where Jesus uh, this guy, they bring him a, a paralytic, they lay him in a mat in front of him, and in, instead of healing him, Jesus declares the guy's sins forgiven, which causes everybody to freak out, saying, how can you do that? Look at verse 5. I showed you the context here. Um, verse 5 says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat and go home. Whoo. 
He has that kind of authority. He is the authority to forgive sins. The only one to forgive sins is God Almighty. Almighty God. He has forgiveness, or He has the ability to do that. He has that level of kingship. Everything obeys Him. A lot of you are familiar, if you're in a campus organization or anything, uh, with what's called the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, uh, even, I, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, right? But do you know the context of that? Matthew 28, verse 18 says, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You've got to understand something, man. Jesus is King Jesus. King Jesus. Now, let me give you, we don't understand authority here. Maybe a little bit. We have a little bit of an understanding. You see a cop show. You see the troopers chasing, chasing somebody. And they come to the, the county line or, or maybe even the state line. And the guy gets across and the troopers have to stop going, ah, shucks. Right? Because at that moment, they don't have any authority anymore. They don't have any authority. They're just a private citizen when they cross that line. We understand that a little bit. But we don't live in times of kings. You know, we're all about individual rights and we're all equal and that whole kind of thing. Um, That's not the way it's set up biblically. When you look at God and who he is and King Jesus, this word authority has a whole bunch. The word is exousia. It's a cool word. Exousia. A cool word. You have to have a powerful word for exousia, not like inkanuska. That wouldn't be a hard, exousia is a hard, what does it mean? Power of choice. I can choose what I want to do. I have physical and mental power, especially the ability or strength which, uh, with which one is endured, whether, he's in, uh, whether he either possesses or exercises. I have the power of authority and the right of privilege, the power or rule of government, the power of him whose will and commands must, be, must, must, must be submitted to. And you're thinking, oh, come on. Do people really have to submit to Jesus? Let's get to the, you know, you think of people, and do people really submit to Jesus? And then let's even go further. Like, like the demons, like Satan and the demons, do they really submit to Jesus? Let me give you a passage, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible on this. Matthew chapter 8. I'm not going to give you the whole account. It's just Jesus having an encounter with a person who's demon-possessed. When he arrived at the other side in the region of Gadarnes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. Now listen to this. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? The demons know they're toast. They know that there is authority, and they know that even if Jesus wanted to at that moment, he could torture them. Now, he doesn't. He drives them out at that moment. He says, are you here to do it before what's going to happen in the appointed time? They're not fighting him. They're asking, is it going to happen now or later? King Jesus is Lord. That is huge. He's Lord over everything, whether you feel it or not. He is. That is number one. If you get that, to the extent that you get that, that King Jesus is Lord, 
that he is, and as much as you're able to get your life in alignment with that, will be your power source for getting rid of sin. Why is that? Number two, you are in Christ. It's an amazing theological thing. We're going to have communion here. Communion means that Christ is in you. Baptism, when we open up the tank here, and when we, uh, when in June, I guess, we're going to go to the lake. Baptism means you're bloop, in Christ. We hold some of you down a little longer because you need a little more in Christ in you. You're in Christ. You're in Jesus. You're in Him. He's not by you. He is that. You're in Him. Now, I know it's mystical. I admit. But the power of what you have is because you're in Him. Now, let's, I, I'm going to cheat here. I'm going to tell you where I'm going. If He has authority and you're in Him... Hmm. Anyway, um, now here's where it comes. Romans 6. Romans 6. If you're struggling with sin, Romans 6. Romans 6. Go to Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, wait a minute now. If Christ died for the penalty of my sin, shouldn't I just keep sinning more and more so he gets more and more glory because he gets more and more sin put on him? Paul says, hoo-ha! He says, by no means. And here's the amazing thing he says. We died to sin. Whoa, 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 whoa. Not just the penalty? Uh Uh-uh. You died not only the penalty of sin, you died to the power of sin. Now, I know what you're saying. I don't feel that. I know. I know. But it's true. You died to the penalty and the power of sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying baptism, this, this dunking down and bringing back up, is a symbol of something. It's, the baptism is not the issue. It's a symbol of something that you died with Christ and you're raised up in him. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. Three, you've been bought by him. You don't even belong to yourself. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is trying to teach about how to escape from sexual immorality. And what he is, is, and that's a struggle for, I know, this guy and everybody else in the room, right? Images and, and thoughts and all kinds of different things. It's a struggle. And he says the ultimate thing here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as he's explaining this, here's how he says to get over it. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. You know, people should just tattoo right across their behinds, property of God. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? You are. You're property of God. He owns you. Therefore, honor God with your body. Christ is in you. He bought you. Therefore, number four, you have authority over sin because you are in Jesus. You have authority over sin because you are in Jesus. That is huge. You are in Christ Christ is King Jesus. He has authority over everything. And what I just said means it's good news and it's really bad news. 
The good news is, you have authority over everything. The bad news is, ooh, I have authority over everything. I don't have an excuse. If you're a follower of Jesus here today, if you've come to a point in your life where you said, King Jesus, I bend my knee to you. You come into my life. Change me. Take my sin away. Break the penalty and the power of sin or whatever. There's no magic formula here. You've bent your knee to Jesus. You've declared him as king. You have authority over sin. Look at what Jesus did with his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. He says, he called the 12 disciples to him and gave them, what? Authority. To drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says it this way. In the same way, it's the same, that same chapter we're talking about, where he says about the baptism, it's just further down. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. You have everything you need. I hate to say this. You have everything you're going to get if you're a follower of Jesus to defeat sin. You have it. You have it. Now, Again, the good news is, I have everything I need. You're probably sitting there going, okay, wait a minute then. If I have that much authority given to me through and in and because I've been bought by Jesus, why don't I feel like that? Why don't I feel like that? One of the things that always amazed me in my own life and in the lives of people around me is, is kind of a paradoxical thing. When, I've, when I came to Jesus in uh, 1983, I was amazed at the things in my life that were stopped by that period. I, could, I called it a filter. They were just filtered out. All kinds of things that I struggled with before were just like gone. I mean, they were still kind of there, but the, the power of them was gone. And I thought, that is so cool. And that amazed me. What also amazed me is the stuff that didn't get filtered out. It's like, why am I still struggling with some of these other things so deeply? You're probably asking that. Why is it? Why do I still struggle? Wait a minute now. If I have authority in Jesus, Christ died for the penalty and power of sin, why is there even a command then to not sin? It'd be like telling me, if, if that's true of me, it'd be like saying, Trike, I want you to obey the law of gravity. Don't fly around. And except for yeah, you, that'd be easy. Uh, she wanted to fly. That was her uh, desire. But anyway, um, <laughs> dream, I guess. The... Uh, I don't, I don't struggle with obeying gravity. I, it's not a struggle. When I wake up in the morning, it's not even top thousand things I think of. Oh, shoot, got to obey the law of gravity today. I just got to remember that. Got to remember that. Gravity, 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 gravity. Get that. No, gravity just does its thing, man, right? So if this is true, then why? Do, isn't it just a thing? Why, why am I struggling? Martin Lloyd-Jones Jones, uh, has an illustration. He's an Englishman, or was an Englishman, and he, he liked to say that People in, in uh, anywhere you go, if there's a property line, people just love to build little tiny stone, their little short stone walls. So they're all over the place, all over the English countryside. Looks something like this. You got these English stones, but they're not very high. There's people like to put together stones. If you go to New England, if you go around the Boston area, they're everywhere. I don't. If you see two stones, you got to put them together and make a, a wall, I guess. And so they just love to do it. And he. <laughs> And he was looking at this one day and thought of an illustration that I think is very, very, at least for me, it helps. If it doesn't work for you, I'll pray for you. The, uh, (laughs) 
I've been told by some it doesn't work, but that's fine. They, they need help. The, it's like this. You've got this property line, and you've got this, this brick wall. It's a short brick wall, but it does mark the two different property lines. And let's just say that there were farms or plantations or whatever on either side of the, the brick, or excuse me, the stone wall. One side of the stone wall would be the kingdom of God. The other side would be the kingdom of Satan. Every one of us, like these fine fellows, start over there. You are born because of sin in your life and because of Adam's sin. You are born into what's called the world. It is the kingdom of darkness. It is the kingdom of Satan. You want to call it that. That's where everybody starts. You did it by nature. You did it by choice. You start there. And if you come to a point in your life uh, where you, you decide to, to change allegiances and God gives you the grace to do this, he opens your eyes and you say, wait a minute. I don't want to be on this team I want to be on that team. God gives you the grace to see who he is. And maybe for some of you, that's right now, right here. You're seeing for the first time in your life, I don't want to be on that team. I, want to, I don't want to be on the Packers. I want to be on the Vikings. Um, <laughs> all right, so you, you... Did I just equate the Packers with the Kingdom? Yeah, I did. Um, okay, so, so you, you, you want to change sides. You, you can, God opens your eyes. King Jesus, you're king. And what happens then is you go over here and you're on that side of the fence. You go over there now and you are, you have a new master. He has authority. He's powerful. He's loving. He's just, he's everything you ever wanted. And someday, that side of the fence will be gone. But right now it's not. And the old master's over there and he can shout over that wall. And you hear his voice and you remember him because he's your old master. You remember the things he told you? He told you things about yourself that this is what defines you. Your body image. Or your status in life. Or your money. Or your sexuality. Whatever. He's just yelling over at you all these different lies. And you hear him. Because you're not, this, this wall is only that high. And that's life, folks. That's life. That's what we're dealing with right now. I wish it weren't so. And one day, I promise you, it won't be. I've read the end of the book. It changes. We won't be in this struggle. But right now, we are. And you hear your voice. You hear that voice. Now, what do you say when you hear that voice? Let me think about that. Let me think about that. No! You don't. Because, I hate to say it, he's smarter than you. It says sin is deceptive. What does deception mean? It's tricksy. It, it lies to you. And it may, you, can't, you don't see it correctly. When I see people who are really going through a time of deception, they utterly reject everybody else because everybody else disagrees with them. Why is that? Because they have terrible judgment at that time. Because sin has deceived them. That's what it does. It does it to me. It does it to you. You don't fight it like that. You say... No! I have authority over this in the name and power of Jesus Christ. I'm with Him. I know you're bigger than me, but He, woo, way bigger than you. I'm holding His hand. You're toast. Go away. Go back to your house, plantation, wherever. I'm staying over here. That's ultimately how you fight it. Now, G.K. Chesterton had a great line. G.K. Chesterton is a nut. If you read any of his stuff, 
He is awesome. Anybody a G.K. Chesterton fan? Man, he's something. He's something. He had a great line. He's sitting in a restaurant. He was trying to explain the difference between power and authority. And he said this. If a rhinoceros right now were to come into this restaurant, there is no doubt he would have great power. But I would be the first to rise and assure him that he had no authority whatever. (laughs) Now that's beautiful, isn't it? What is he saying? (laughs) He's trying to get across this idea. There's a rhinoceros in the room that is powerful. If anyone tries to dupe you into thinking that sin is not powerful, it's not true. It's very powerful. The difference though, hang with me here now, hang on now. There's a difference between power and authority. So the rhinoceros comes into the, into the thing, into, in the restaurant, and Chesterton rises up and says, you're big, you're scary, you're powerful, you have no authority, I do, get out. And he does. He does. Chesterton would have had authority over the rhino if his illustration would have worked right. I'm afraid it didn't because rhinos, hello, you know, they would have uh, horned him to death or whatever they do. (laughs) Sin no longer has mastery over. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've claimed him as king, sin no longer has authority over you. But it's still very powerful. Therefore, it is... A constant battle. Constant warfare. Listen to what Paul says as he describes this warfare in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 6 and 8 are kind of the two classic passages on how to battle sin. In the middle of it is Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, admittedly so, is a very controversial passage, whether it's talking about Paul before he was converted or after his conversion. And I don't want to be fair on that. I want, to, I want to state that out. I have good reasons to believe that it's after. There are, there are people, I know there are people in this room who disagree with me on that. I'll pray for you also. There, but whether or not, it still describes a struggle with sin. But I do believe that it's after his conversion. Let me explain this, or let me read this to you. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do, uh, if I, and if I do... What I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my flesh or my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Does this describe anybody in the room? Or is it just me? This is me. Now I know... Excuse me. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it is no longer I do, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, that's the number one reason why I think it's uh, talking about a Christian here, not just somebody before, because Christians don't in their inner being delight in God's law. He says, I know that God has changed me. I've been changed. I'm born again. I'm being regenerated. Within my inner being, I want to follow God, but... I see another lot work in the members of my body, waging war against the laws of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? 
thanks be to the fact that I've read a lot of books and Owen and other things and I know a lot of things and I can defeat it. No, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who's got the authority. Read those books, by the way. They're good stuff. But that's not where it's going to come from. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law but in the sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. If you are battling with sin, good for you. Good for you. If you've given up, not so good for you. Not so good. Ah, oh, you know, it's no big deal. It's just gossip. I just, I just love it. If you give up, if you give up, it's one. And you think that's just that one area? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Let me read some of the things from this, what Owen talked about this week. He says, he's going to talk basically about the war you're in. And he says, do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. There is no truce. There's a truce, but it involves a hearse. No. Until then, you're at war. He says, we have a body of death. He quotes from Romans 7.24, which I just read. From whence we are not delivered, but by the death of our bodies. It's not going to happen until then. Now, it being our duty to mortify, to be killing of sin while it is in us, we must be at work. And I love this. He that is appointed to kill an enemy, if he leave or cease striking before the other ceases living, but does half his work. Now, here's the idea. You're in a war. You have to keep whacking that sucker upside the head constantly. Wake up in the morning and think, here's the sins that I thought I've got those handled. Just whack, whack. You just like, you know, fight a, what is that, whack a mole or something? Yeah. Just whack him, whack him. They poke their ugly head up and just give him a whack. In Jesus' name, you have authority. Whack. Jesus' name, authority. Whack. Okay. May not want to do that in public. It could be a little embarrassing, but... The idea is, you have authority over those things, but it's not, those things are going to rise up again. Owen goes on to say, sin does not only still abide in us, but is still acting, still laboring to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. Now listen to this. When sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But as sin is never less quiet, then when it seems to be most quiet and its waters are for the most part deep when they are still. Dude, that's deep, okay? That is heavy. Think about that. I like to fly fish. And and when you get to the part where the fish like to sit and lay, that's the deepest part of the pool, usually on a corner. And it's over your head. And the water slows down. And it's mellow. And it's deadly. One slip, bloop. I'm over my waders and I'm down. But it seems nice and calm. So ought our contrivances against it to be vigorous at all times and in all conditions, even where there is at least suspicion. Are yet war? Have you declared war? Because you're going to win. You're going to win. Now, a guy by the name of uh, Chris Lungard has written a book called The Enemy Within. Um, Enemy Within, uh, straight talk about the power and defeat of sin. And he, he, he follows up on 
on uh, Chesterton's rhino analogy. And he says this. He says, but if you don't find yourself dodging the rhino's horn day and night in a struggle against sin, it may be that you've made peace with the rhino. You are willingly, happily, under its power and rule. I appeal to you, for the sake of your soul, run to Christ. Only he can slay the rhino in your heart. And he can. I've seen it. I don't care what you're struggling with. I don't care if you've been struggling with drug abuse all your life. I don't care. I don't care. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's simple. Yes, there are patterns in your life. There's repetition. The enemy seems to have, the rhino seems to have a stronghold in that area. But today, today, you say no. No. No more. No more peace with the rhino. No more peace with the rhino. Today, I'm going to rise up in this restaurant. Get out! Do you have that within you? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the authority because you're holding his hand. Not on your own, but because you're holding the hand of Jesus Christ. You have authority. You have authority over those things. My, my big time strong encouragement to you is the application today. Will you fight for your right to party? Will you fight for your right to kill sin and to live life the way God intended it? Is there a fire in the belly It says... Today, I want the rhino gone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are simply awesome. You are king. You are more king than we could ever imagine. From, from the, the powers of the universe to the smallest subatomic particle, you reign over all. And just like the centurion, we say, just say the word and it'll be done. So Jesus, I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, just say the word and set the people of Hope Community Church free. Say the word. God, would we be people who don't cling to logic, don't cling to our own understanding or, or any kind of programs we're trying to do to get better. We cling to you and say, you have authority. Therefore, rhino, get out. Jesus, I pray right now in this room, I know that you're bringing things to mind. I know you're bringing up areas of sin and stronghold in people's lives. You're not bringing that up just to make them feel rotten about it. You're bringing it up so they can be set free. And I pray that this day, May 4th, would be a day for many where they stick the flag in the ground and they say, today is war. No more truce. No more peace with the rhino. No more. So God, I pray for that. By your Holy Spirit, you do that. Set people free. Lord, if there are people in this room who for the first time in their lives, they realize that Jesus Christ came not only to come and be a good teacher, and he certainly did that. Not only to show us the way to live with social justice and, and love for all, and he certainly did that. He also died to be the, the way truth and the life and to be the penalty to break the penalty and the and the power of sin in our lives if today's that day for them lord god i pray you give them the courage courage to step out bend their knee to you and say jesus christ you're my king i want to follow you 
God, for those of us who have been followers of yours for a long time, and on that very issue, we waver. There's other things in our lives that take that kingly place. God, would you just give us the courage right now to call that what it is, and it's idolatry? Would you just give us the courage right now to step out of that and say, no, Jesus, you're the king. Whatever area it is, you're the king. Come, Holy Spirit, come and heal, come and encourage, come and challenge. Do whatever you need to do, God, to change us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.